All right. Hi, everyone. So, you know, uh, now that you have paused Paul's awesome uh, talk on how to design a top grossing game and how to build those, uh, how to plan for those, you know, challenging games. But one thing uh, which is now the next step of building those kind of games is, uh, first of all, you know, from my personal experience, I can say it's not easy to kind of execute on that ambitious vision. And how do you do that? How do you avoid common mistakes while developing those kind of games? Uh, so we are going to talk about uh, how to address critical challenges in terms of building a scalable games. And for that with me uh, is uh, Arvind Nilkantan. Uh, Arvind is currently uh, a technology evangelist at Epic Games. Before this, he was also a technology head of Unity India. And uh, he has been part of multiple gaming studios like uh, Disney and Nickelodeon, where he worked on really ambitious games, including MMORPG. So uh, welcome, Arvind. Uh, thank you, Avinash, and thank you, uh, Laila, folks. I'm just excited to be here. All right. So uh, why, uh, you know, uh, me and Arvind on this topic is that uh, Arvind has been helping, you know, uh, Indian gaming studio from a very long time. Uh, he has uh, deeper insights in terms of what kind of uh, uh, development we have been doing so far and uh, what are the common mistakes like, you know, uh, we have seen which we can avoid upfront to kind of, you know, not uh, uh, affect our development in longer uh, period of time. And the other thing which we are also going to talk about once your game is live so you know this conference is like india free to play conference and the difference between a free to play game and uh, i would say a casual game or a hyper casual game is that uh, these games are not only one time published games they are like services so when you build a game you have to support that game for a very long time in terms of you know uh, technical updates content updates and also live ops so uh, let's directly jump into the topic arvin and my first question to you is from your experience of working with so many Indian gaming studios, what are the common mistakes you have seen in terms of early development of games in India? And how can those studios avoid those mistakes? Yeah, that's a very important question. And thanks for uh, thanks for asking that. Because one of the things that I usually see game studios, uh, here, here is, a, I have a whole bunch of a list, right? But let me highlight some of the things. Like the first thing is folks who are going to be making games who have a big game idea should be playing games. And that I see is a big, uh, it's it's kind of moving away. It's a, we, we, are, we are seeing game studios evolving, but uh, but you know, I, I know a lot of folks who started a game company, but they're kind of proud to say they have never played a game before, uh, which uh, which kind of seems to, seems to be an antithesis. It's like, uh, it's like a movie director saying, I've never seen any movies and yet I'm here, I am making a movie, right? So my advice would be that, and second, uh, or, or already seeing a lot of uh, uh, money that can be made out of uh, games because it is one of the, or it is in fact the largest entertainment uh, vertical in the world. It, it has surpassed movies and music long time ago. Uh, and it's not, and while game making is definitely a business, it is also a very technical business. So my advice for folks who are going to be making, uh, who are establishing game studios would be also to get technical resources on the highest level and not uh, and not just designers or not just business folks, but also to get the best uh, engineers who, because at the end of the day, the game is of course a, a, a very engineered uh, and is pretty much the centerpiece of the game itself. So uh, 
uh, investing in a CTO, investing in a technical director, investing in a senior resource upfront before you start a game or a, before you start a game studio is paramount. Uh, and, and so those are the typical things I see. Now, there are also mistakes that you can that, that we can talk about once the game development itself starts. Uh, um, and and uh, but I want to I don't want to get too deep into that because it's really it's really unique to how each game setup itself is. Uh, but you know fundamental things like having a uh, having version control, uh, having a open uh, uh, open and flat environment in order to uh, in order to better communicate with each other, having a fairly uh, uh, flexible and creative. A, a designer, a game designer who can who can work around the constraints of what the engineering talent can bring in. There's a whole list of those things. But for me, though, the first two things I mentioned about uh, about having a strong technical team and then having um, a good sense of uh, of of how to make games uh, is very is very important. Yeah, I think those are really important points. And there are you know as you said there are multiple things which uh, you have to get right when you are just starting mm -hmm. the development. Mm -hmm. One thing I would add is, uh, which many studios I have seen get wrong, is mm -hmm. the differentiation between prototype and production. So mm -hmm. you know, when you are building a game, first of all, you have to uh, uh, prototype your risks. So you know, mm -hmm. if you are just cloning a game, which is you know already there, everything is clear, like this right. is exactly what you are going to make, and then you know you can follow a waterfall model and just you know uh, come up with a roadmap. But if you are building challenging game, you know validate validate your hypothesis upfront by building lots of prototypes. So that is Correct. one thing. And the second thing, understand the difference between prototype and production. I have seen one mm -hmm. mistake is making is like they have something working in prototype. They see it in the build or whatever platform they're building it. And they just, you know, bring that prototype inside production. And Correct. then, you know, they want to move fast. They want to develop that game in six months or yeah. what timeline they have. Yeah. They don't realize the problem at that moment. But once mm -hmm. you are deeper into development pipeline, now it's been like you have multiple features on top of it. And now you start testing to go live and you start seeing so many issues. And then, sure. you know, yeah. then you end up spending almost equal amount of time as building something from scratch rather than just building on top of code. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a, that, that is that is true from a technical standpoint too. Like, you know, um, like, uh, like, you know, for Unreal Engine, folks saw the Unreal Engine 5 demo. Uh, the value of the ancient and they're like hey can we do it on mobile i'm like nope <laughs> don't, don't do that. Yeah, just just because you're seeing it doesn't mean it's going to work over there yeah. yeah right okay so this brings me to the next question which is uh, um, and we already spoke about so when you are starting a development uh, and let's talk specifically about india uh, people have this choice of uh, you know choosing a game engine so mm -hmm. you know as a, as a studio or as a developer like when you are making this call what are the things which you should think about before actually you know choosing a game engine well, see, game engines today are uh, are pretty much, uh, you know, uh, most of, most of the game engines have have very similar offerings. I would say, uh, but what you would have to choose in a game engine, I'll talk maybe specifically about Unreal Engine because that's where I'm from, uh, is because Unreal Engine is predominantly, uh, you know, for console games, and there's also enough games on mobile. So you need to know where you're going to be publishing the game to. Like who's going to be your audience? Is your game to is your game going to be on mobile? Is your game going to be on console? Is your game going to be on a browser? Uh, is it going to be on a Facebook Messenger kind of a game? And at the end of the day, optimization plays a very important role. Uh, so whatever game engine that you're going to be choosing needs to be optimized for the platform that you're going to be deploying to. 
and second thing is also the ability for artists and the and and this is a, this is a this is something that i've recurringly seen in in uh, in studios uh, is that the ability for artists and non programmers to contribute greater or even better into the game development process itself uh, early on in my and and that's changing with uh, with game engines today but earlier in my game development process the engineers uh, used to do like myself right myself included used to do all the art work like you know they'll just, like you know the artist would just throw a maya file at me and then i'll have to like integrate that into unreal engine and then or they'll throw a ui and you uh, ui at me like a photoshop file and then i have to like integrate that into the engine and of course i'm a uh, you know i'm a fundamentally a programmer so the artistic vision is probably not going to be realized in its full potential or its full imagination as a designer uh, can be so i would say and and game engines these days are fast evolving to uh, to include artists and non programmers into the game development process and i would say any engine including unreal engine which allows you which allows for better productivity uh, would be a good choice uh, to begin uh, uh, to begin with after you have figured out that it is an optimized engine for you to work on correct and i think yeah. as a developer uh, you have to understand that you know your game better than anybody else so correct. you know first of all you have to uh, kind of pinpoint like hey these are the critical areas of our game so no mm -hmm. I, i have games where uh, maybe visual fidelity is not that important but there are right. games where visual fidelity is the key element of your game so you know That's if right. that to be the key player of your game mechanic then you know choose the engine based on that like hey you know this is non negotiable for us can the engine which we are going to choose support that if not then you that's that's where your answer is so yep. you know uh, figuring out like what what are the key elements of your game and the other thing uh, which i personally feel is that uh, capabilities so you know mm -hmm. uh, how much time do you have to invest in learning something new so uh, this, i had a talk with uh, uh, tommy who had built his own game engine for a very famous game called win glory mm -hmm. and my question was like hey who should build the game engine so there is this common interest going on in engineers especially like in, they want to make yeah. their game engines but yeah. if you look at the current state of game engines they have evolved so much so like if you have to build your engine to support features which you get out of the box in unreal yeah. unity then uh, you know you would be spending like years just getting to those features before actually having that inside your game so you know uh, if you are planning to make your game engine good for learning but unless you have you know millions of dollars resources uh to invest in that i think that choice should be very clear uh, yeah mind. absolutely like, you know there is a there was a like at the end of the day you have to you have to tell your story you have to the story is your game and making something from scratch just because you can uh, or just because you want to uh, is is a, is absolutely a, a sink of time and money uh, if someone has already done it uh, then i would say leverage that and start using that rather than doing something from scratch and i'm a big proponent of that yeah right cool yeah. uh, so one of the powerful things about current game engines is uh, you develop once and then you can publish it on multiple platforms so and most of the studios nowadays kind of whenever they do a game development they always plan for multiple platforms so mm -hmm. you know from your experience if somebody is building a game how should they approach this problem like for example they want to make for mobile they want to publish it on console like xbox playstation pc how should they plan their development pipeline to kind of address this thing in long term see for my my advice would be aim for your lowest common denominator at the beginning uh because if you are going to be making a game for your like your shittiest device and part of the language 
uh, you know, uh, then it's easier to add on top of it to support higher end consoles, for example. So if you're going to be supporting a 200, 2000 rupees, you know, phone, Android device uh, and making your game at the beginning for that kind of a device and then planning for a higher end console is a lot easier than doing it the other way where you're going to be making a, a massive game with 5k or sorry 8k assets for example and then bringing it down to a mobile device is going to be very painful uh, and when you and and planning kind of at least up front like if you are if you even have like long-term plans of putting it on a low-end device it's better to plan for it especially when it comes to assets uh, so you know make sure that uh, you know uh, if, if you have uh, if you have the same game on on a mobile then have make sure that you are planning for you know um, low low resolution textures low quality meshes up front even though you might not that might not be your first platform but planning for it definitely helps uh, when it also comes to multiplayer games uh, when it uh, for pc and console uh, the the protocol matters a lot uh, one of the earliest and this is like an anecdotal thing that we that it, it kind of throws back to your prototype versus production kind of a thing right when i was at uh, my previous company um, at uh, in los angeles at uh, at nickelodeon uh, we had this uh, prototype of getting, uh, which is a multiplayer, a massively multiplayer online game. And the prototype was just like, you know, dumping the inventory of the player uh, through, a, through a TCP. Um, and it was great work during a prototype. But then as the game grew and more and more people started acquiring more and more items, uh, we noticed a slowdown in the game and we had no idea what it was until we realized like, you know, thousands of items were just like passed through a, a TCP which didn't crash the game itself uh, because it just wasn't able to process that huge JSON file, uh, which was which which we then changed to H to a REST request later on. But but those kinds of uh, awareness of what your device is capable of in terms of processing power, in terms of optimization, and planning for your lowest common denominator upfront, and then adding on top of it is a lot easier than doing it the other way. Uh, and this applies for both uh, client-based development, server-based development, and also tools. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Uh, actually, you brought up a very important point here about multiplayer mm -hmm. games. So uh, for cl cl cross-platform, when you are choosing, mm -hmm. most probably, you know, I would always say uh, that's our actually next topic which we are going to discuss is build versus buy. So if, for example, mm -hmm. if you're using a game engine, you decided mm -hmm. to use that game engine, and mm -hmm. once you are deeper in the pipeline it will be very hard for you to change. And same mm -hmm. applies for, for example, if you are using a multiplayer service. So if you are building for cross-platform, you have to also see the capabilities of that technical solution. So, you know, uh, maybe that works for mobile, but if you are very serious about cross-platform, then see whether that technology can support uh, the, that particular platform. So if you are choosing a networking library and on mobile, for example, you are running your servers on 10 or 20 tick rate. See mm -hmm. if that, framework can support 60 degree when you are on console because you know you cannot run a 20 degree game uh, or, or shooter game let's, let's say for yes. example uh, on console so see whether that particular library can support that so that's so that you know after one year once your mobile title is done and now you have to publish on console you find out that you're already so deep into your integration pipeline that it's very hard for you to take that out Correct. these yeah. are and that's the, yeah and that's the planning part right like making sure that you plan for it uh, test it. Uh, prototyping is good. Of course, you don't need to take the prototype to production, but prototyping and making sure that stuff 
works uh, and in an optimized fashion is is very important also i add one more thing like you know especially when you're talking about different platforms and this is something maybe we'll discuss later down the line uh, is is also testing uh, needs to be uh, planned for uh, because you if you are if you are already thinking of publishing to even even just android and android has like thousands of variants these days uh, but if you have if you're planning for that then making making a good plan for testing up front uh, also helps a lot because uh, involving qa up front or quality uh, assurance folks up front uh, has always paid dividends because they're able to find nuances uh, early on because they're able to uh, because that's what they do and and and, and planning for that also helps for especially for multi uh, cross platform uh, game game development yeah right, right. so i'll just summarize because this is a very important point yeah. Uh, three things on top of my head. One is you have to plan your content pipeline in a way that even if you're going for mobile, you have idea how will you develop that content pipeline for cross-platform. Second, uh, choice of technology. When you are choosing any technology which is going to be a critical part of your game, make sure you know it can support the platform which you are going to develop it on. And the third one, which was very interesting, that is plan for QA. Uh, yeah. If you're going to the platform, have that plan uh, ready for that. That's right. Uh, so you know, uh, let's let's talk about uh, this, uh, and this is very specific to uh, I would say Indian gaming industry also. And I have seen this mistake <laughs> happening multiple times in, in our industry. That is build versus buy. So, and I'll I'll take an example of uh, lots of available assets right now. So even if you go to Unreal, you will find lots of assets which are already there, and they look amazing. Like you know, if you want to build a shooter game, you can find lots of shooter templates. Same with Unity or any other things. So, um, and this again, this is related to our prototype versus production thing where, you know, you build the prototype, but make sure that, you know, when you bring it to production, uh, you are aware that what are the limitations of that. So what are your thoughts on, have you seen this kind of mistake happening where people just use an asset, which is not capable enough, and then they build the game and then later on they realize like, Hey, you know, we are now constrained by the limitations of this particular asset. And how should they approach that? Well, it goes both ways, right? In my experience, I think. Personally, I think the marketplace is a great place for you to start making a game from because you don't have to work, you don't have to make, or you know, you're not blocked by art in order to start making your game uh, upfront. Uh, and I would encourage that. I think that's a good, it's a good place to be. It's also a great place for you to learn. Like you know, if you're doing, like if you're building an environment and you want to know how that environment was put together, if you already have the environment, then you can kind of just dissect it and then figure out how things work. Uh, which again brings me back to my favorite topic of optimization, which is if you have a, if you, if you need to be a really good at optimizing existing code and existing assets, you need to know the fundamentals of it. If you're unaware of the fundamentals of optimization, then you are playing a very risky game, which is kind of what I said earlier. Like, you know, you, you see a value of ancients and then you're like, let me put it on mobile and then it'll just crash. And then you do have no idea why it worked, why, why did it work. And you need to, you need to be, you need to be aware of that. Uh, you know, um, and that said, if you are going to be buying an asset, I would say, please go for it. Right. But also be aware of what that asset is capable of um and you sh and and once you buy the asset you own the asset you it's it's your responsibility to make sure that you know what it is all about um you know uh, like the environments or like high poly character art that you're going to be getting you need to know how to optimize it how to break it down 
Uh, of course, Unreal itself has has anticipated it, and inside Unreal, you can break down a lot of uh, meshes down to uh, lower LODs, for example. And in environment, you can turn off and on certain features that don't necessarily work on devices. Uh, of course, the engines help you out with that. But at the end of the day, you need to be aware of what you're buying and yeah. be aware of the optimization processes itself. And that and and that's kind of where it is. You, you, Right. Yeah, you, you just you you need to be aware of how to optimize it and, and yeah. be cognizant of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for the business people, I would say uh, who are not too much into technology is that uh, if you are using some existing assets, ask questions mm -hmm. about the capability of that asset. So, you know, uh, one common mistake happens is because as a business person, you always see how it looks rather than, mm -hmm. you know, what all the capabilities you might have inside. So, you know, ask Correct. questions like our game needs this. Can this asset support that later on? and have the plan to build it or you know just buy it again uh, from a different yeah. asset no yeah. i think the more aware you are about the asset the better choices you will make yeah and, and on the other side right like you know um, when i was at disney you were seeing a plethora of of uh, endless runner games right everyone was making endless runners all the time uh, and and in that case i would say like you know if you found a, an asset in the marketplace that already has the endless runner kind of working use that i have no problem with that like why why rebuild something when you have a template that's already there and uh, and then optimize it or you know swap the assets if that works for you because it just saves time because it's anyway a kind of a game that you uh, that that has a although it's an endless runner it has a short life really so it's uh, kind of what you're looking at there yeah and uh, now that you know we are talking about games as a services and i i see uh, epic making big moves in that area with you know epic yeah. online services uh, and backend as a service has been like really critical uh, part in terms of you know moving gaming industry uh, forward. Uh, so, what are your thoughts in terms of you know as a for example you are a new game studio and you mm -hmm. already have the challenges of building a game like you know you have to build a team uh, you have to uh, kind of uh, come up with technology plan like hey, what are the tools uh, to use and now you have a challenge of building live optos where you know once your game is live you want it to be configurable you want to be able to change you know do all those economy tools and everything else so what are your thoughts on like you know uh, using a backend as a service platform as compared to building something from scratch uh in, in house well i would never recommend building any platform or service you know your server side service in-house uh itself okay. primarily because of two two reasons one it's really hard to actually hire or even find a network engineer right uh, in fact i am i'm a i'm a server side engineer myself uh, and and finding like you know fellow network engineers uh, for games because you will find people who will work on banking and fintech and, and all of those all of those places but game is a whole different beast finding engineers is hard uh, and second a lot of uh, similar to game engines itself, a lot of the server-side capabilities of games are fairly boilerplate. Uh, so you have like you know your leaderboards, your uh, your uh, uh, your uh, uh, inventory system, or you have your achievements, or you have your uh, you know your rooms where you want to place your players in. Uh, and most of those solutions have been solved for, like most of, rather the problems for them have been solved for. Uh, so resolving them for your game, unless it's like completely new kind of a game, uh, which I really doubt uh, it's it's got to be there. Um, you know, it's it's better to use existing game. It's exactly like using a game engine versus writing a new game engine. Uh, 
Uh, and for me, I would say like, you know, if, if, if there is a service and if you got to evaluate the kind of service too, because you have like example, uh, Epic online services, uh, it's, uh, it's been it's been tried and tested on real time multiplayer shooter games, for example, and so you have a, a pretty good uh, a, a pretty good uh, example or a pretty good uh, use case of it being working of of it working really well. But if, let's say you're making a turn based game, uh, and you don't really care about real time like TCP or UDP kind of protocols, you just probably are happy with uh, with the REST API. Uh, so great. So then use then figure out a service that works for you uh, for that kind of a game, um, and evaluate what works. And uh, yeah, and then if you if you have a network engineer and if you are a engineer like if, who is able to figure out the server side of things, then work with the existing code uh, that has been provided rather than building something from scratch because building something from scratch is hard. Uh, and and like I said earlier, it you got to concentrate on telling your story. Don't don't get uh, sidetracked. Right, right. And yeah. one fear I have seen in uh, studios uh, is that they always think that these services are not configurable. And uh, yeah. to that, you know, I would say that, I mean, they should evaluate them again because some yeah. of these platforms I have personally evaluated and they're pretty solid. There might be yeah. like, you know, few things you might have to do in an indi indirect way, but right. I have not seen many things which you cannot do using these services. So they are pretty configurable right now. So right. and the engineers who are working on these services, they they are pretty experienced engineers. So you know, yeah. doing basically and then when you are building a game, you have to try to avoid mistakes. So you know, do you want right. to you know avoid mistakes on the gameplay side, or do you want to you know make some mistakes on the backend side? So you know, yeah. take one at a time. So yeah, yeah. and it's also a, it's also a really good idea to have, build a relationship with the service providers uh, because you know if if there is if you do have a unique capability. It's better to throw the problem at the folks who are making that service or make, providing that service uh, rather than you trying to figure it out uh, yourself. Um, and and it, yeah, it's always good to have uh, open communication with the developers. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say you know shout out to backend as a service platforms. Give it a try. Like you know it can yeah. save lots of money, lots of effort. Yeah. And yeah. Really speed your process. So you know uh, talking about the speeding of the process, like. Um, Time to market is very important for games. You know, no matter what kind of game you are building. So, what yeah. are the things which you think can think on top of your head? Like, hey, these are the process which companies can adopt to actually speed up the process and mm -hmm. the basically time to market, like development process itself. And one thing which I personally feel maybe we can talk about is uh, some of those processes might seem heavy in the start, but over the long run, you know, they will kind of help you to reduce yeah. the overall development time. So, can you yeah. like, talk a little bit about this? Sure. Uh, so like I said earlier, technology is the back end of games and you need to have a very strong technology to also support the game that you're going to be making. Uh, in terms of processes itself, uh, let me let me get that out of the way first. Right. In terms of processes like production process, uh, having a having a product manager or a, or a designer who who is flexible, and understands the engine uh, and the capabilities is is, is usually the a huge thumbs up, right? Because they are the one who can, who can, you know, smoothen the road to publishing. Uh, if there's something goes wrong, they're able to come up with something and, and, and a creative way of solving. And second is also, as I mentioned earlier, involving QA upfront, the quality assurance team upfront, huge help. It makes no sense. Uh, you might probably feel that they're doing nothing in the early meetings because they're just kind of standing and looking around, but 
that helps a lot because they understand the product a lot more so they're able to figure out bugs uh, later on the process because they have been there throughout the entire process right. now that's the production part from a technical point of view uh, i am a big big uh, backer and and and, uh, and and you know a proponent of uh, continuous integration everywhere i go that's all i talk about continuous integration uh, i've been making like jenkins and bamboo scripts like all my professional life uh, and continuous integration is extremely important because you if you're especially if you're doing like cross platform games or even forget just making an android game because it has like thousands of uh, variants you don't want a poor developer to be staying up all night or staying up all day just making a build because that's a complete waste of human resource a complete waste of compute also um continuous integration processes and integrating that up front and then making sure that it is all stable up front so it is able to make builds to multiple platforms and also able to deploy to qa resources pretty much automatically helps a lot uh second thing is also on uh, peer reviews uh you know when i know that someone else is going to be writing code i know my code is going to be much better uh because that's kind of how human beings are uh, but right. if i know no one is going to be looking at my code i'm not going to be looking at i'm i'm going to be writing shitty code uh so ability and and having those kinds of uh, review process which is enabled by your um, uh by your version control system like git kind of mm -hmm. github for example automatically provides those kind of resources for you uh is is also something that will avoid bugs in the later process think bugs that are hard to fix or even impossible to fix and you are able to catch them up front uh in in those process uh and and you know um and and and, and also importantly and this is a more non technical thing but a general health check of your uh, of your developers is also very important like when i was at disney uh, i made sure everyone left at 6 pm uh, and you know that that's usually a good thing uh, to keep the morale of your developers up uh, and that also while it might seem kind of counterintuitive but send but giving them enough create because this is a creative process giving them some time to soak on the creative process even though it might be technical also helps a lot because you're then able to get a lot more from the developers if they're able to if they're able to keep pace or keep a a steady pace on the kind of development rather than just throwing things at them like uh, on the web yeah i think yeah. this uh, this should also be part of the company culture uh, as well so mm -hmm. when we talk about this process many studios think them as an overhead to start with so you know uh, right. making a build directly from uh, editor or directly from xcode or nvidia still very simple yeah. like you click the button and get done no upfront yeah. investment there yeah. but what we companies don't realize is that that process takes half hour one hour a day and then you you know multiply that by you know 40 days 50 days so you end up spending so much time rather than you know spending few weeks to get your ci cd pipeline working and if there are any issues fix that in the pipeline so i think this Correct. is that's why some mentality and culture thing yeah. where we see an issue try to fix that in the pipeline rather than just you know try to get it yeah. done at that and yeah that no in fact uh, yeah it it reminds me of this uh, this t-shirt i got at nickelodeon where where i always used to say like you know qa used to come back and say like hey something didn't work and i was like what do you mean it didn't work it works on my machine right 
uh, and then I got a T-shirt saying like it works on my machine <laughs> because that's all. And and you know so uh, yeah, and so that helps a lot too, like continuous integration uh, where you are able to uh, make sure that it's not just working on one machine; it's working on the build machine is more important. Uh, and you're able to find bugs uh, upfront uh, and make sure that that's not doesn't that doesn't happen in production um, too. Yeah, and uh, the second thing which you covered peer review, I think code review is something which uh, a company should take serious. And this yeah. again, you will not see the advantage of this like upfront, but over mm -hmm. the period of time, the advantage which you will see, they will be like amazing. Not only in terms of code quality, but also uh, code awareness. And mm -hmm. also you, know, you have people in coming, going in your company. So, you know, everybody understands the code base. So there are lots of advantages. So, you know, just invest some time in that as well. So I think Correct. we are uh, close to our time. So I have just one last question, uh, uh, Arvind. And that is, uh, now let's talk about, you know, now your game is live and mm -hmm. you want to, you know, make your game configurable. You want to do live <laughs> or create economies. So how can you plan that upfront, like during your development process only so that, you know, once your game is live, it is treated more as a service rather than mm -hmm. just like every update you have to send updates. Yeah. yeah. As a, as a developer, I would say make everything API call based and everything loaded from the server if possible. Uh, like, you know, at least plan for it. Uh, including UI, including characters, including textures, everything has to be configurable unless it's something that's uh, like including levels. Uh, it doesn't have to be there uh, at the launch of the game, but as a programmer, you need to be prepared for it. And the reason for that is I've seen multiple times uh, designers or marketing people, especially, uh, they might very confidently say that a particular part of uh, the game is not going to be dynamically updated. But you know, they are humans, right? They're gonna they're gonna make mistakes, and once it goes live, they're gonna realize that something needs to be updated on the fly. And it's it's unacceptable from a programmer point of view to then say it's not possible to make it configurable at least in the next build. Uh, because you got to anticipate for it. Uh, I did that mistake too. Uh, I got, I, I, I usually get, I, I, I even got pissed off saying like, why didn't you plan for this? Like we got to plan for it better, but, uh, but it's impossible to plan for it. So my advice would be like, you got to make, you got to plan for pretty much every element of your game to be something that can be pushed, something that can be updated as a, uh, from the server. Right. Uh, and if you plan for that, especially mobile games and especially free to play games because it is a service and it is a it is a live beast you're able to then make changes a lot easier um, uh, and in fact you know your previous company your your uh, uh, you know they did a, a great job of building that engine uh, june engine right uh, and 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 that i thought was really cool i thought the idea behind it was excellent and right. and and i think that's kind of what you should be prepared for like pretty much every element of your game should be should be architected to be configurable even though when you deploy it it doesn't necessarily have to be configurable and that right. that'd be my guess, yeah right. yeah I, I will just add two things very specific points one is uh, uh since you are going to use either your backend service or backend as a service platform yeah. so anyway those platforms allow you to configure data part of your game but yeah. have content pipeline also planned in a way that you can download it and many games mm -hmm. now cannot avoid it like you yeah. have better better pass based games where you have to continuously keep shipping updates so you no know, you cannot send your app update with every battle pass okay. you have to make your content downloadable the other things i would say is and this again goes back to solid principle of development so it is not only about the code but also independent parts of your game so for example yeah. you have an environment 
so mm-hmm. design your environment in a way that your assets can be downloaded and replaced so for Correct. example uh, that can help you in terms of multi platform as well so for low end android devices you can download low res exactly. assets for higher end you can download higher assets so i think this is also part of your content pipeline and uh, as a live service that's right yeah absolutely yeah i cannot agree more yeah all right so i'll just take one question uh, from the chat uh, is uh, here so it's a question for you arvin uh mm-hmm. no this one uh, where is that this one so arvin can you put some lights on automation testing on game testing uh yeah i mean it's uh, a lot of the uh, you know game automating tests on gameplay is a hard thing to do it's kind of kind of i would say on the impossibility end uh, because it's uh, it, it it doesn't it doesn't really work that way but uh but if you are going to be automating uh, but a lot of uh, you know we have this uh, this mvc model like the model viewer controller model that that we all love in games uh, but a lot of so that's kind of when it comes to the server side part of things like you know things that that gets pushed from the server uh, things that get passed as a uh, as a player uh, inventory for example or player or player profile uh those things can be tested quite easily automatically when you're when you're testing and this saves a lot of time for qa2 because uh when you're when you when you make when you have continuous integration you're going to make a build and when you're making the build all of these check boxes are tested automatically uh things like you know parsing things making sure that you know uh, whatever is going to be pinged from the server is going to be coming in correctly or whatever data that is stored locally uh, as a profile Uh, as a player profile is also uh, is also something that that works correctly and those might get those might be those might seem silly and as a developer you are going to say that is never going to go wrong but it will right it will go wrong uh, and it's something that that uh, saves some headache uh, for you uh, when you are doing um, when you are sending your build for uh, qa testing and uh, uh, so in terms of testing itself i usually have been using jenkins i've been using bamboo um and that's mostly what i think most of the folks are using that uh, for the most part and, uh, and 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 all of them have plugins for uh, for unreal and other game engines also so you're able to then you know push your build over through like perforce or through git and then you're able to then uh, get those automatic uh, and and of course to do the automatic testing automated testing rather the developer has to write those automated test right. tests in a fair manner because i have seen folks who just write if true just pass the test which is a complete bs kind of a true a test uh, so you got to also be aware of uh, writing fair and uh, and reliable tests uh, for for your uh, for your games um, and once you do that it trust me it will it will save you a lot of time and headache right right and i think apart from that i'll just add one point uh, automated testing is very game specific so a few things mm-hmm. you can uh, have generic solutions but for gameplay testing if you want to invest time maybe automate your gameplay so like you know for our game what we are planning we'll have ais we'll just try to replicate the same gameplay they will try to right. pick up items shoot and all those sort of things yeah. so that you can also uh, do but That's just, right. yeah. so if it makes sense you know do it yeah. all right Arvin, i think we are out of uh, time now but thank you so much some really really important topics discussed we can go deeper in those but you know i think it it was helpful for everyone Thanks everybody. Yeah, thank, thank you Arunash and thank you uh, Lila and hey Jake. Hey, hey, uh, hey mom. <laughs> Thanks Arun. <Yeah. laughs>